Hey everybody, I'm Nick Davis. Welcome to Simply Not Easy, the podcast about simple action steps to improve the journey of your life as I work to improve the journey of my own. Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to Simply Not Easy. Hope you're all having a great day out there today. I gotta say, it was an absolute blast getting to New Hampshire yesterday, getting out here to surprise everybody. Um, yeah, love it, man. Love my family. Extremely, extremely grateful. We got a incredible group of people out here. So, you know, just wish I could spend a little more time with them somewhat. But, uh, you know, we got to get in, get it in, make it happen uh, before I head out to L.A. for a while. And, you know, I always felt like a bit of a traitor going out to L.A. as a Celtics fan. But one of my good friends out here put in a good way saying that, hey, we got to have more Celtics fans out there. So, feeling a little bit, uh, a little less guilty now, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer so that's why I'm heading out there I guess it'll always keep living that message of beat LA at least as far as the Lakers go but anyways today muscle Monday we're hitting it off we're keeping it uh keeping it superficial in terms of superficial layers of the abs this is today is all about the rectus abdominis muscle um we are a good old six-pack we've talked about it functionally a ton on this podcast but let's get back to its anatomy, get back to the basics again, and why this kind of coil of shock cables, um, basically this muscle able to handle a lot of compression, shock absorption for the body, um, translation of energy from the lower extremity to upper extremity and upper extremity to lower extremity, vice versa, as a stabilizer, but also as a prime mover and flexor. But as we always start out, Let's hit the anatomy. We gotta have structure before we can get out there and define function. So, where does it start? The rectus abdominis originates on on the pubis, on the pubic bone. And so we've got the whole pubic crest. Um, kinda, so the front, so our whole hip bones and everything. Um, the pelvis, we've, if you put your hands on your hips either side, and you work your way all the way in front, kind of keep following those lines until you get kind of just barely right above the genital area. That's the pubic area. And this muscle starts down there. And so its origins at bottom, the pubics, uh, then it, insertion is up higher, so it comes up. And for this muscle and the way it functions, we talk about the fascial planes, fascial lines, the muscles go with it. The rectus abdominis is fascially intertwined, interconnected with our adductor muscle group. So it makes sense as this goes from kind of the straight up, straight down through the pubis area. A lot of the adductors connect to the pubic symphysis and pubis, pubic crest as well. Um, and so that the tension on these systems gets interrelated to each other in terms of connectivity. And so as we look at regional interdependence of the whole musculoskeletal movement system, We've got to be able to take a good look at that for sure. The insertion of the rectus abdominis is off of the ribs, off of the cartilage of the ribs, interfascial connections, specifically of ribs five through seven, um, being, the, being the lower parts of the true ribs. Uh, then a little bit potentially off some of the false ribs at the bottom going down. Um, some say it can connect to eight and nine a little bit, but again, primarily to the lower parts of the true ribs, ribs five, six, and seven. And so again, it connects to the xiphoid process as well. Very important connection 
in that area as it goes down. So we're starting off low, coming back up high. That's our abs, that's our six pack, baby. Now what the heck are these tendinous rings and kind of lines around it that makes it a six pack that looks pretty, pretty cool and pretty ideal as opposed to just like another flat sheath just like the rest of these muscles are all along the way. Well, the line in the middle, that's our linea alba, alba, linea alba, which very literally, I can't remember if it's Latin or Greek, translates to white line. Um, linea is line, alba is white. So, line white, there we go. But this is a band of connective tissue that kind of ties everything together, helps to hold tension side to side. Um, now, we can have a condition called rectus diastasis um, that is actually a splitting of this line. So it can lead to decreased abdominal stabilization, um, potentially a um, herniation as well. Now this is something that um, you see very commonly in, or when you do see it is usually associated with women who are, who are pregnant and stage pregnancy with the um, protruding uterus or um, after pregnancy as well with lack of tone in these muscles. Um, I have treated a man with this before. It was not because he was pregnant though. So go figure, you know. I have never yet met a man who has been pregnant. But, you know, keeping keep the mind open to future possibilities. You never, never know out there. It's a crazy world with a lot of strange medical conditions out there. So we got origin, we got insertion. Now, let's talk innervation. What gives the muscle its juice? There's nothing glorious, there's nothing um, overwhelmingly fun, significant about the innervation for this. It gets its innervation from um, the thoracic nerves from levels T7 to T12. The T12 one is gonna be your subcostal, uh, then it's the intercostal nerves for um, T7 down to T11. And sometimes T6 is included as a resource as well. But anyways, basically the anatomical levels that this corresponds to is the innervation pattern, <coughs> excuse me, that this muscle is gonna get. Um, really, we don't care about this too much until we get to some things um, like spinal cord injury or other neurological conditions like that. Um, there is always potential for a very local um, nerve root lesion at that level that can result in some pain, compression, and lack of function, but let's say that, you know, T8 on the right side is knocked out a little bit. That's not gonna overall impede the function of the rectus abdominis because there's gonna be layers that translate back and forth, up and down levels to each other. It's if a big slew of things was knocked out. That's why we're usually not as worried about it unless there's a major neurological condition or red flags for some really, really bad news other ways in life. So we're not usually talking about a peripheral nerve that's gonna compromise the function of this muscle, but there may be a peripheral nerve pain irritation from other patterns involved too. Okay, we got the innervation. Now action, what does this muscle do? This muscle is a stabilizer. It is a stabilizer of the abdominal contents. It compresses the abdomen. This muscle contracting will help posteriorly pelvic tilt our pelvis by Again, if with a stabilized upper body, having the insertion actually pull up on the origin to if we lift up the front, the back's gonna go down, and so it's gonna posteriorly pelvic tilt. So people kind of with their belly and their butt sticking all the way out, kind of like a, a poor control, lock control, anterior pelvic tilt all the way, 
what do we do? They need a butt and gut class. They need the booty and the abs. Firing on all cylinders, working hard to keep yourself back in post to your pelvic tilt. So it's all about a balance in there that we absolutely need. Okay, let's say we don't have that. Um, or let's say, you know, we're moving beyond that. We've hit the innervation. We've hit the action is also abdominal flexor in that area. And so it's gonna flex the abdomen down for that typical crunch leg motion. So, how do I like to train the abs? What are the abs good for? Six packs. Um, kind of when I first started exercising big time, seriously, late high school, um, I ended up cutting myself down from about 190 of a unhealthy weight to gaining muscle, hitting 165 of a pretty darn healthy weight. And that felt, that felt real good, that was looking good. And I did, first of all, I hit the abs with volume, 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 and intensity to keep the heart rate up, to make sure I'm using an anaerobic metabolism to burn energy, to build up muscle, and not just endurance. Endurance is important, but you've gotta, gotta, gotta get that burn. So one of my favorite strength-based exercises to do was kind of the reverse cable crunches, where I'm on my knees with the mat, and I got that tricep rope over my head, grabbing it and crunching down really slow, sticking that butt behind me, crunching down with the core, and then most importantly, with a high weight eccentrically, letting the weight pull me back up, but keeping that contraction in my abs. That was an absolute killer um, to hit one at the beginning of a workout, to get the muscle really activated, really strong, uh, then an eccentric burn at the end of a workout too, once I've already done that work, to hit it really, really solid. So, huge fan of that. Um, I've talked before about how sometimes I don't go to crunches very often, but I still will. Crunches are not bad. Only crunches are bad. If you have a history of significant back problems that are aggravated by crunches, crunches may be irritating. They're not initially bad, but you might want to, you know, start with a few, and then start with some other ab exercises to build it up and build up that stable neutral core before you then venture out and return to a better function of the core through more of an extended or flex posture. But you do need a strong core in all positions. So no, it is not okay to ignore flexion or extension. It's okay to temporarily delay pursuing significant flexion or extension, but we wanna have a strong, resilient body through a variability of movements. And so all these postures are important to be able to get in and out of. Now, you may choose to lift kind of a lot of high, heavy loads with more of a neutral spine so that there's far less margin of error involved and you're not dissipating and dumping energy and load out. I would completely agree with you. However, if you're doing it because, oh, I'm just bending forward and I'm scared, I'm nervous, well, trust me, you can activate and stabilize your core in almost any position. Some are better for heavier loads along the way. And that's the key message that we're trying to get at is, don't be a baby, don't be crazy scared, and movement is safe. And our body and our system is far more resilient than we give it credit for. But if you're ever in question, go see a good physical therapist, go see a good health professional. I am a big advocate and a big fan of starting, using the tools around you to start a conversation of how you can perform, how you can optimize your health, and how you can start the conversation of 
how can I treat myself? How can I have these little nagging things here and there? And what can I do to kind of, you know, have my own toolbox that uh, I can do a few things here and there that are within my control. Then when things get serious, go to somebody who knows what they're doing for another uh, tune-up, kind of an oil change, if you will, for the, uh, the, the ability for us to perform our own routine maintenance on ourselves. Just like a lot of us should know how to change the tire of a car or pump up tire if it gets flat a little bit. We should be able to do those type of things for our own body too. Um, but again, going to an expert, going to learn from somebody who really knows what they've been doing and been trained in it. So try out that ab exercise, try that out for rectus abdominis. Other than just again, focus on the anaerobic metabolism, the burn, burn, burn of that. And that is what's gonna develop the six pack musculature. Now again, they say the abs are made in the kitchen. Technically, that is true because every muscle is made in the kitchen. Not just in terms of fat loss, but in terms of actually having the nutrients to gain that muscle and to create the muscle. But in terms of fat loss too, definitely important. But it can't be just the chicken. Hey, kitchen, wow. In my mind, I immediately like equated like chicken and kitchen. I guess I'm pretty damn hungry right now. Um, I guess I better go get some chicken for myself soon. Anyways, not about the chicken, not about the kitchen. And there's this huge myth out there that, oh, what are the exercises that you would do for upper abs? Oh, what are the exercises you would do for lower abs? Dude, you cannot neurologically separate them. The only way you can neuro, maybe, maybe, there's some cool evidence out there that some of these Buddhist monks that are high, high level meditators can actually um, surpass um, normal spinal reflexes and inhibit those at the spinal level that we never thought we were capable of doing or had a mechanism of. Um, that is certainly not true in the general population, but there's some evidence that they can do that. So maybe some very specialized training Buddhist monks that before they get to the level of, let's say, uh, levitation, may be able to control this feature. However, minus having a major neurological injury for the common population, for 99.4% of the population out there, I really just made up that number, but it's a high confidence. It does not do, we are not able to neurologically separate upper abs to lower abs. You're doing an ab exercise, guess what? You're working the abs. Oh, you're doing that exercise or that ab exercise, guess what? You're working the abs. You can change if you're isometrically, if you're concentrically, eccentrically, what resistance you're at, if it's aerobic, more endurance, anaerobic, more sprint and burnout, but you cannot change if it's upper or lower, you're always doing all of them. You can change if the legs, lower extremities are fixed and you are um, doing more of a crunch type motion, if you're doing an isometric hold, or if your upper body is more fixed and you're doing some leg activity. Now the leg activity is tef definitely, definitely, definitely going to use your hip flexors too, which is not the quote-unquote core or rectus abdominis. But to involve the rectus abdominis, make sure that your back, your low back, is not hyperextended. It's fine to be a little bit extended, but not overloading, because when you're using the psoas, the um, iliacus, iliacus, um, the combined iliopsoas together, and you're not having it restrained by any other motion, it will, by path of least resistance in your body, move you through a path of lumbar, low back, hyperextension. No bueno, no bueno for the point of health overall, doing that over and over and over and over, not having other options, 
but also no bueno in terms of that does not promote an activation of the rectus abdominis that uses hip flexors and other passive means of energy. All right, y'all, keep it real. Go, uh, you know, gotta prepare, gotta get ready, get the body in a ready state so that next time that your washing machine is broken, next time that, you know, you're a poor college student, you don't have a washing machine right in your apartment, you gotta figure it out with the washer or dryer, guess what? You've prepared, you've got the rectus abdominis ready, you have those washboard abs ready to go game time. All right, y'all. Go get that six-pack. Chase those dreams. Let's make it happen. Simply not easy.